Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We are continuing this morning in our series on prayer, A Vision for the Valley, and uh, we're going through the prayers that we find in scriptures in order to teach us how to pray, uh, that we might have a deeper life of prayer, a closer relationship with God in and through his Son. And so today's topic is unanswered prayer. Do you have unanswered prayer in your life? Maybe it's a job that you've been trying to get. Maybe it's a relationship that you're longing for. Maybe it's suffering that you've been experiencing. Maybe it's it's even the prayers uh, to save someone's life. All those feeling like they've been unanswered. We pray... And God doesn't grant our requests. Now, why would he do that? Why would God refuse our requests? You might think, is there something wrong with me? Maybe there's something wrong with God. So how are we to respond? There's little prayers, you know, that we don't get a response to, like, please give me that parking space. You know, maybe on your way to work or in the parking lot at Costco and you don't get it. Or uh, even things like this weekend, Lord, please let the Dodgers defeat the Yankees, right? And then there's the bigger prayers. Please heal this person from sickness. Don't let this child die. Don't let my child wander from the faith. And if we have a life of prayer, we will experience God's denials of our requests sometimes. And so this morning, I want us to see how do the scriptures, the Bible, God's word, how does it prepare us for this? 
And so to prepare our hearts uh, for this time, I want to pray using a prayer from the Valley of Vision. Let's pray together. Father of mercies, your grace has given us faith in the cross by which you have reconciled yourself to us and us to you. Drawing us by your great love, reckoning us as innocent in Christ, though guilty in ourselves. Giver of all graces, we look to you for strength to maintain them in us. For it is hard to practice what we believe. Strengthen us against temptations. Keep us sensible of our weaknesses and of our dependence upon your strength. Let every trial teach us more of your peace, more of your love. Your Holy Spirit is given to increase your graces, and we cannot preserve or improve them unless he works continually in us. May he confirm our trust in your promised help, and let us walk humbly in dependence upon you. For Jesus' sake, amen. So I've been reading through Paul Miller's book called A Praying Life, and in it he has four diagrams about prayer that I want to share with you this morning. And you can take a look up on the screen here. And so first uh, we see this graph. On the bottom side uh, we have a running line of time. And in the opposite uh, direction on the graph we have uh, the direction of hope and see it increasing. And so we start with, um, with our needs, our reality. And so we see reality kind of as the short line going by as time goes by. And on the top line, we see this arc of our hope. And so the question is, what do we do this, with this space between hope and reality? Paul Miller calls it a desert. And so here's a couple different ways that people can experience that desert. One, uh, through denial. If we look at the next graph here, we see the line of reality move up much closer to the line of hope, and that makes that line really an unreality. And so we try to cover that desert between our reality and what we hope for, sometimes by pushing reality into unreality. You know what? It's really not bad. This thing that I'm praying for is going to happen. Okay, so that's one way. Another way that we do it is we try to cover the gap in that desert between reality and hope by determination. If I can just be more determined, I can move the line of reality up to what I'm hoping for, either by my efforts or just praying harder or whatever it is. So one way, denial. One way, determination. Another way is that we lose hope. And so that arc of hope really just comes down parallel to the line of reality, and it leaves us in a place of despair. And so what do we do with this desert, this space between the reality experience we experience and the hope that we have? Well, the desert is a place that God led Moses and the Israelites for 40 years after they prayed 400 years for deliverance. 
It was in the desert that Jesus was tempted by Satan, and he did not fall to temptation, and all on our behalf. And so God, too, is at work in the desert between our reality and hope. So how are we to live there in that desert? Well, let's take a look at Paul's unanswered prayer to help us understand how. Uh, We'll start again looking at verse 1. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So a little backstory. Uh, Paul is the writer here, and he is writing to the church at Corinth. This is his second letter. And Paul, if you remember, was a persecutor of the church. Before he was Paul, his name was Saul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he executed Christians. But Saul was converted on the road to Damascus, Jesus appearing to him and converting his heart, giving him a new name, Paul, and Paul becomes the missionary to the Gentiles, the spreader of the gospel to the world. And so 13 of the books written in the New Testament are penned by Paul. And so in this book, 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing in part to confirm his apostleship. You see, his opponents uh, say this, you know what, this guy has suffered way too much. There's no way that he could be an apostle. And so Paul says, well, you know what? Suffering is actually the way of Christ. So he starts uh, talking about visions. Now, in Corinth, the culture was this. If you had visions, if you had revelations, you were something. Wouldn't it be impressive, right, if God chose me to give a bunch of information? What a perfect way to confirm apostleship, right? But Paul says, no, I'm not going to boast in those things. I'm going to boast in weakness. When I was in seminary, uh, I had our seminary president, Dr. Brian Chapel, as my preaching instructor. And one of the first classes that I took, he set out a rule. He said, listen, don't ever make yourself the hero of your story. And if you're going to speak bad about someone, only do, about, uh, do it about yourself. And so I remember someone raising their hand and asking this question. Well, wait a minute. What if it's a really good story about me? He said, okay, if you got a really good story, instead of making it about you, use these words. I once knew a man. And then tell the story. So kind of in the third person. And that's what we see Paul doing in this text. I once knew a man. And he says this guy was caught up in the third heaven. What's the third heaven? Well, Uh, The way that the Old Testament uses that word heaven, we see it in uh, the creation account, the heaven first referring to um, the space where the birds of the air realm, uh, that realm. And so it's the sky, right? So the first heaven would be the sky. The second heavens is uh, the realm of the sun, moon, and stars, Okay, so um, the Old Testament talks about that space as the heavens. And then the third space, the third heavens, being that place which God himself dwells. 
So Paul is saying, I knew this guy. He was pulled up into that place, a place where God dwells. And he didn't know if he was uh, physically there or just there in a spiritual sense. It's a mystery. I don't even know. Uh, He says, I can't tell you uh, the things that he heard or the things that he saw. But then in verse 7, he kind of breaks the Dr. Chapel rule a little bit, and he says, I'm the man. Okay, so it's, it was my visions and revelations. And then he says this, but uh, I'm not going to boast in that. Here's what I'm going to boast in. I'm going to boast in weakness, in my weakness. And so in verse 7, we see that he is given a thorn. A thorn is given to the one who saw and heard. The visions from heaven bring about adversaries from hell. And so let's take a look at verse 7 here. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. What is the thorn? Well, there's lots of uh, different ideas of what the thorn, uh, what the thorn might have been. Uh, some suggest that it could be psychological struggles, grief, possibly over the earlier perse- persecution of the church. Uh, it could be sorrow over Israel's disbelief. It could be even a temptation to sin. Um, we see here that Paul's opponents uh, are continuing to persecute him, so that could be part of the psychological struggle. That's an option. Um, another one is that it's a physical affliction, right? He talks about it as a thorn in the flesh, so very reasonable idea that this is some sort of physical affliction. It could be a spiritual Affliction as well. It's called a messenger of Satan, this demonic harassment. So we don't know exactly what it is. It's a little bit of a mystery here, but it is something that is plaguing him. And so Paul says, here's the thing. I don't want to be put on a pedestal. Now entertain this uh, with me for a moment. What if Even just for me, what if God answered all my prayers? What would that look like? I would have such power, right? At some point, you know, you guys start coming to me and asking me to pray for this or that, and we just get yes, 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 yes to everything, right? At some point, probably it's going to bring in the news media here. Pastor, everything he prays for comes true. And uh, I probably start getting book deals after that, right? And then we go, man, we got to bring this to other people, just not at uh, New Creation here. So let's, uh, let's bring this to a stadium so that I can pray for as many people as possible since they're all coming true. And you know what? Let's not just do one stadium. Let's do as many as we can. And uh, it'll be kind of nice is, uh, if I get a little jet plane to go from stadium to stadium. And the request would be so noble at first, right? I've got this power. God answers every single thing I ask of him with a yes. But then eventually power would corrupt. 
And that's the whole point of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's book, Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, right? Is that power corrupts. You get these pure characters in that story that says, don't even let me touch it. Don't let me touch the power of the ring because I know it will corrupt me. One author says it like this. If God were to answer all of our prayers, we'd become like spoiled children with too many toys. We would only grab for more. We would use that power only to make the world to our liking, and it would become hell on earth. We would pray for victory at others' expense. We would be intoxicated by the power we would wield, and we would hurt others in order to exalt ourselves. And so Paul is saying, I don't want that. I don't want to be put on a pedestal. And so he's given this thorn, and he sees it as a thing to keep him humble, to keep him from uh, not becoming conceited, to keep him dependent upon God's strength. Now here's the amazing thing. He's trying to confirm, affirm his apostleship to the church in Corinth. Now, which one would you use? Visions and revelations or thorn? Paul chooses the latter. But even in that, he prays, please take it away. It's a reasonable request, right? God, take this thing away so that I can serve you. I'm doing great things here, right? And so in that, we even see the hope in Paul. Remember that line of, that arching line of hope? We see that hope in, God, in Paul. He can, uh, he can pray in hope that God would take it away. God can do this. But that hope is confronted with the reality that he's not going to. And so God gives a no to the request. It's a request that Paul pleaded three times take it away but the reality is god was not going to do it the answer is no 52 years ago joni erickson tada was a girl who just graduated from high school she was an athlete and she was in a diving accident and she broke her neck and it left her a quadriplegic. She felt that her life was over. In the beginning, she said, I used to just ram my wheelchair into walls and I started drinking to just cover up the depression. She was a Christian. And so she prayed for healing. She went to countless healing services, confessed every sin she could think of. She was anointed with oil. She would pray, God, I'm an athlete. You know my body is important. Of all people, I should be healed. She would think, what kind of Savior would refuse the prayer of a paralytic who believes in Jesus. In all of that, she was brought to a place of ultimate weakness. 
And one day she just said, God, I can't live this way. I am lost. She says, you know what? God's goal is not to make us comfortable, but to hate our sin as he grows our love for him. What she realized was that her bigger problem was her sin and not her wheelchair. For 52 years, she has been dying to sin daily and raising with Jesus daily. And so she says, you know what? Suffering's main purpose is the textbook that teaches me who I really am. In the beginning, she would just get so mad at God and pray these prayers of just anger. And then the next day she would say, oh, forgive me, God, that's me. Or that's not me, rather. But she realized, you know what? That is me. My heart is just angry inside. I'm an angry person. She saw her sin through the vehicle of her wheelchair. But now she finds great purpose and encouragement. She says that when the devil insists that God's people only serve him when it's easy, I have the high honor of proving him wrong every day. And she says that a no to her prayer for miraculous physical healing has meant this, purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for God's word. She says this line that I just think is so profound. She says, oh, bless the schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. In verse 9 of our text, Paul has similar language. He says this, my grace, uh, he says that Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Weakness is the the platform for demonstrating God's power. You see it all through the Old Testament. Abraham This old man who was married to a barren woman, they couldn't have kids. And through that weakness, God demonstrated his power to bring about life, to bring them a son. We see it even in the nation of Israel. They're a slave people, slaved for 400 years. And in weakness, God raises them up and delivers them out. It's only his power that can point to their victory. We want to operate out of our strength, though, don't we? We want to, that's our culture. We want to say, you know what? You're strong. You can do anything. You know what brings you value is how strong you are. But yet here, 
we see that God uses our weakness to show his strength. When we're emptied of ourselves, we are then ripe to be filled with God. One author I read this week says it this way, there are times in our life when we must learn to accept what is inescapable and then listen to what God is saying through it. We might find that we are mistaken about what we think is best for us. The prayer doesn't go unanswered. It just receives a different answer than what Paul wished. God would instead give him a richer endowment of strength to overcome his weakness. He received more than grace to endure his affliction. He received the power of Christ. You see, Jesus met Paul in that desert between hope and reality with his power, with the power of Christ. And so Paul's weakness becomes the vehicle by which God's grace and power is most fully manifested to him and to others. And so for Paul and for you and I, we see the most power when we are least reliant on our own resources. You see, we can have these illusions of our own strength that actually cause us to overlook the power of God and can move us to rebel against God. But Paul says, let me boast of weakness so that you would see the strength and the power of God. And so God enables Paul. He empowers him to endure suffering, not to escape it. And so the resolve is boasting in weakness. Let's look, uh, look at uh, verse 10, 2 Corinthians twelve ten. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Those are powerful words. When I am weak, then I am strong. The best gift of the desert, that place between hope and reality, is God's presence. It's Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God is our shepherd guiding us in that desert. He meets us there. And there is the place where we can find the gospel, where we can receive the gospel. It's in our weakness. And here's the amazing truth. While unanswered prayer is often the hardest thing in our lives, it is also our greatest hope. What am I talking about, right? Doesn't that sound crazy? That a no from God is our greatest hope? How is that possible? Well, our hope in God, our very salvation is found in one specific no in prayer. Let's take a look at it. It's Matthew 26, 39. 
There it says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Now, what if God gave Jesus a yes to that prayer? Think about it. There's no one more deserving of a yes than Jesus, than God's own son. He's the only one that lived a perfect life, that never sinned, that loved God purely with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus deserves a yes. And what if he got it? If that prayer was answered, the prayer, by the way, that he too prayed three times, if that prayer was answered, it would result in our doom. God does not spare his son. Rather, he gives him the strength to fulfill God's will. And that is good news for us. The Son of God received a no so that we could hear the yes from God, the yes of restored relationship, the yes of salvation. Jesus received a no so that you could hear a yes, and that is good news. And so the cross then becomes the model, the perfect picture of strength In weakness, in weakness, Jesus was crucified. Yet in God's strength, he was raised from the dead. And in the same way, God works in our weaknesses. It is in our weakness that his power is manifest. So what does that mean for us? Three things today. Number one. We need to embrace the desert between hope and reality and remember that that is the place where God meets us. That is the place where the gospel goes to work. We're also to remember this, number two, that we're to lead with our weaknesses so that God's strength may be demonstrated in our lives for the world to see We are so prone to lead with how awesome we are, with how strong we are. But Paul's encouragement here, lead with your weakness. Lead with how broken you are and your needs so that the world would see the power of God, so that the world would see the strength of God. And number three, embrace the cross as your only hope. That is the place where prayer was unanswered. The Son of God received a no so that you could receive a yes. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word today. May it, uh, may you lay it up in our hearts in the days to come, the weeks, months, and years to come. Lord, will you use this prayer to teach us to pray, to teach us to seek you in the desert between our reality 
and our hope. Lord, would you meet us there in that place of weakness? Would you make us strong? Would you show us your strength? Would you show the world your power and strength in that place? And help us to live this out together as your people. That we would encourage one another that we'd encourage one another in our weakness and that we would celebrate your power and strength in the face of that weakness. And so, Lord, where we are weak, give us the power to endure. Give us the strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.